Amotasa Bhagavato Arahato Samha Sambuddhasa Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Samha Sambuddhasa Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Samha Sambuddhasa Buddhangdamang Sanghang Namasami again it's Uposita on Pra. Another fortnight has slipped into the void. Here we are just acknowledging that passage of time. Change in the phase of the moon, movement of the time through the year. We're all a little older now since the last time we shaved our heads or took the precepts. Some things have happened. When we, when we go to the trouble to take these observances, we're formalizing something. We're, we're kind of making a, an intentional ritual, a conscious procedure out of something which is at the very heart of the teaching. We're trying to remind ourselves of what we came here to do. So we take the precepts which are training determinations Aditanas. And they're, uh, it can seem kind of um, mechanistic, kind of routine, kind of not very challenging, you know, not going around killing stuff and stealing things. It seems like it's not that hard. Um, not that many things that you really want to kill at a monastery. and. No, it's not that many things to steal. So that, so it seems like the it can seem as though these precepts which we we're observing pretty well. Going to the trouble to ritualistically take them again uh, can seem a little hmm, kind of pointless, maybe. But really, it isn't. A lot of these, a lot of these things that we do, the bowing and the chanting and the taking of precepts, patimoka recitation. They inject this pause in our lives because we're, we're, we're embedded in this routine of, of getting up in the morning and doing puja and having the meal and work period and going through the week like that. We, we interject these reminders and we can use them very skillfully or we can just sort of go through the motions and put up with it. 
And of course, the encouragement, obviously, is to try to find a way to make use of them to serve your practice. Taking the precepts or listening to the Patimokkha be recited is an invitation to once again awaken, wake up in this present moment to what it is that you're doing with your time and your life and how, how you form the attitudes in your mind, the kinds of attitudes and intentions and preoccupations that you allow to fill up your head, to fill up your hours. The mind tends to develop these not such great habits. Thinking about this and that, flying all over the world, worrying about the future, regretting the past. And it's all unproductive when the mind's wandering around thinking about all kinds of things. The productivity of it's pretty low. Maybe it's a little different if you're focusing on executing a construction plan or preparing a meal or preparing for some meeting. These things require mental effort and of course the mind has to think in order to do those things well. But that's not a very large percentage of the time that the mind operates. And a lot of the, a lot of the operation of the mind is just kind of habitual, uh, half-awake thinking about things. And uh, everything that we do in our lives as disciples of the Buddha has this potential, if we tune into it, Repoint re our attention at something that's actually vital and useful and important. And these vital and useful, important things are, in one way or another, they're connected with the Eightfold Noble Path and the Four Noble Truths and the aspiration for awakening, for enlightenment. And when you, when you tune into the nobility and the worthiness of that aspiration, then the, the rituals and the traditions and the chanting and everything else can take on a kind of richness, a kind of vibrancy, uh, relevance to your situation right now. Even something as straightforward as not taking the life of any living creature. To hold that as a as a personal ideal, as a training in your mind, as something that you you aspire to, that you uphold as worthy. Uh, it uplifts the mind. It's it's noble. It's a noble ideal. It's beautiful. Imagine if you could the, the paradise the world would be if 
if all of humanity can bring itself to uphold these these precepts, the five precepts would be. It would be a different world that we live in. So for us to take these things on very consci consciously and conscientiously uh, really goes against the grain of unconscious habits of the world at large and in our own minds, our own mind streams. We're all subject to maybe not telling 100% truthfulness in our speech. Uh, maybe occasionally doing things which might be potentially deadly to another being. I had that in my consciousness this week. There was a uh, porcupine that's been visiting my kuti. And the porcupine likes to chew on the siding. And the siding that he, he likes to chew on is on the uh, directly on the wall next to my head. <laughs> and so it's quite loud and it, quite irritating. And I've discovered that the porcupine is um, doesn't take my, my protests very seriously. So I've gone out there with a broom and, and chased the porcupine away and just as I'm falling asleep again, <coughs> starts chewing in the room. So, uh, I've taken to, to uh, getting really aggressive with the porcupine, throwing pieces of firewood at it. And even this seems to impress the porcupine a little bit, but not as much as you would think. So, uh, I found that frustrating. And I could see that my, my adrenaline and my, my involvement with wanting the porcupine to stop waking me up at 2 o'clock in the morning uh, was affecting my mind in such a way that I could, I, could, I could sort of see that I was setting aside this, this precept to not take the life of any living creature, suspending it in duress. And that's, of course, where it really counts. <clears throat> it was a bit of a shock, actually. I had a murderous rage against that porcupine. But I did have the good fortune to notice that this was happening. And then I, I didn't actually kill the porcupine. But I, uh, I was being vigorous enough with the way I was throwing the firewood that if I had accidentally killed the porcupine, it would not have been a surprise. Fortunately for the porcupine, I'm, I'm a, not a very good throw. Um, firewood mostly just sort of bounce harmlessly away and make a thudding noise. The porcupine was showing me all of its defenses. It was displaying its quills and was chattering its teeth, making a stink. So we called it a draw. <laughs> I went back to bed and he stopped bothering me. And so this is the, uh, this is what we're up against, is unforeseen circumstances. It's not that hard to uphold out precepts when you're, as you're not being challenged. But of course, you can't really control the circumstances. Things, things can, can suddenly present themselves. And then you have to see how good your training is. 
an opportunity to tell a, a very profitable, or seemingly profitable, uh, inaccuracy about yourself, maybe an exaggeration or a white lie or some other misrepresentation of the truth. And if you have enough mindfulness, you can catch yourself. But even so, even if you if, if you break a precept, it's not really the end of the world. Because it's not, these aren't, aren't some kind of iron rule where if you break a, 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 one of these precepts, you're, you're doomed. Uh, they're training precepts. So we're always, we're always in the position of taking them on again. Okay, I screwed that one up. It's not what I want to do. I'm going to be, try to be more diligent in the future. And this is one of the, uh, the key principles. This is part of the reason why these reminders are, are at the heart. Is uh, the path is made out of our, our intentions. We have to intend everything that we do that brings us along spiritual development. We have to intend to be generous. It takes intention to uphold precepts. It takes intention to sit down and meditate. We have to consciously direct our attention. And we have to intend in order to restrain ourselves from doing things that are unskillful. So restraint, which is also very important and necessary on the spiritual path, restraint is entirely grounded in, in wholesome intentions. The only way that you can actually apply this wholesome intention is, is if you're awake enough to the circumstances of your life and your practice to remember to do it, to constantly, to over and over again renew your intentions. So whatever happened in the past, you can't do anything about that other than learn from it. If you learn from it, then you've done what skillfully can be done. And then you renew your intentions based on that learning. If you take what happened in the past personally as some sort of commentary on your value as a human being or your worthiness to practice the Buddha's path or your, your chances for success or anything like that, then those are the kind of reflections that aren't skillful, that aren't helpful. The past does not exist, other than in your memory. So learning from the past and using that as fuel for your intentions is, I would say, the most skillful use of memory of things that happened in the past, especially anything that's unskillful or unwholesome that troubles you. Simply see it for what it is, recognize the lessons that's there, and then renew your intention. When you do this, you're being what's called heedful. And 
the Buddha has said this over and over again in the suttas, that, that heedfulness is the, the core, the, 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 the essence of this training. The, the heedful, those who are heedful achieve the deathless. And those who are heedless are as if already dead. They might as well be. So heedlessness is the path to death. And heedfulness is the path to the deathless. So listening to the Patimokkha, taking the precepts, chanting pujas, following the routine of the monastery. These are all invitations to heedfulness, to wake up, pay attention to what's going on. Evaluate where you stand in your life, what it is that you're intending to do with your time, how you're using your time. And if you take the invitation and you follow through with it, then you'll, you'll conduct yourself in, this, in as skillful a way as you know how. So I like to think the next time that the giant rodent with big teeth comes and chews on my kuti, that uh, <laughs> I can't exactly predict, but that I will make an effort to, to drive it off with a bucket of cold water or something rather than uh, potentially deadly pieces of firewood. And that will be my expression of my heedfulness in that particular circumstance. Our circumstances are constantly also potentially inviting us towards this, this attitude of heedfulness, of waking up. And one of the one of the amazing benefits of uh, monastic life, being part of this community, is uh, that we get feedback from our fellow practitioners. Sometimes it's very direct, like a, a, in the form of an admonishment. People will tell you that you're you're creating a problem of one sort or another, or you're failing to do something that they expect you to do. And that's painful. It's like the pain of waking up. You can take the pain as a, as a personal affront, or you can take it as an invitation to examine whether or not uh, the feedback that you're getting has a basis. It might be true. And if it does, then to ask yourself, well, where is that coming from in my, in my attitudes, my, my beliefs, my views and opinions about what's proper, how I should conduct myself? And almost invariably, if people are giving you valid feedback about your conduct, that's uh, even has some degree of truth to it. There's some aspect of your heedfulness which is lacking, which you can detect if you examine yourself honestly. And if you detect it, then you have the chance to change it. And if you change it, things will get better. They won't get worse. And this is a very rare thing in the world. 
most places that you go, if you're doing something which is oh, not so great, not so beautiful, not really good for your spiritual development, uh, and maybe off-putting to your, your fellow spiritual practitioners, most places that you go, no one will tell you. It's like you're walking around with a big piece of spinach stuck in your teeth and no one will say, you know, you got a piece of spinach stuck in your teeth. So you're kind of going around embarrassing yourself and no one tells you. And it's not, uh, it's not the best social setting to find yourself in. Whereas at a monastery, if people are willing to admonish you, I, you know, ideally they're doing it in a way that's fairly gentle and not too confrontative and not not intentionally hurtful but if they're giving if they're willing to give you any kind of feedback about your conduct it's a uh, it's a rare and precious thing uh, it's like uh, maybe not a great analogy but the one that occurs to me is it's like having access to, to uh, dentistry right? you live in a place where there's no dentistry your teeth just kind of get rotten and, and they do whatever they do and there's nothing you can do about it but if there is dentistry, you can you can go to the dentist and they can look at your teeth and find out what's wrong and something can be done about it. No one really likes going to the dentist, but we like having dentists to go to. We like the fact that we can get dentistry done when we need it. So admonishments like that, it's a kind of uh, painful but necessary and helpful intervention for one's own benefit and just like any other pain that you have in your life if you take the embarrassment or the feeling of, of uh, social being put down or whatever that might come up in your in your psyche from being admonished if you could just take that as part of the uh, fabric of our lives and not take it personally. Learn from it and then let it go. Just like memories of the past. That's the most skillful thing you can do. So every circumstance of our life, all the events that happen to us. But uh, interestingly, painful ones more than the pleasant ones are trying to teach us or have the potential to teach us. When things are pleasant and nice and fun, well, it's not very encouraging for, for self-examination. It's not like it, it's impossible to learn things from, from pleasant circumstances, but it's just not quite as, as stimulating in that direction. Whereas when things are just a little bit painful. Unfortunately, suffering is the best teacher. So when things are a little difficult, painful, challenging, uh, you find monastery life to be uh, boring or a straitjacket or um, socially isolating or, or depressing or any other painful emotion that comes up. And most of those ones I've felt many times. It's just yeah. It's a it's just a rich source of learning. You can 
take apart each one of these emotions, see what makes it up, come to understand something more deeply about your own psyche. And this is, uh, as one person Meta likes to say, not taking your life personally. Because we don't really have control over these things. So our best bet is to, to learn from everything that happens to us. And again, we have a really great circumstance here. We have these precepts. We have these fellow practitioners. We have a moderate degree of of safety and comfort and all the requisites. And along with that comes this package of friction and minor conflicts that happen in monasteries. And of course then your own internal payload of karma and difficulties all just waiting for you to unpack it and heedfully learn from it and make your life ever more skillful and aligned with truth. So, <coughs> it's really a gift, actually. It's quite amazing. Any negative emotion is potentially transformable into something really positive, something really valuable. It's transformable into insight and into its opposite. So hatred can be transformed into loving kindness. Aversion can be transformed into openness. Greed can be transformed into generosity, but only if you see it. And in order to see it, you have to pay attention. To pay attention, you have to be awake. So our life here at the monastery is constantly trying to wake us up, bring us back to the present moment, bring us back to why we're here. So whatever you're feeling at any moment, if it's unpleasant, if it's painful, if it's dukkha, just knowing that much is already insight into the nature of reality. That's skillful to see. And then investigating further, going, going deeper into it, why is it here, what's the cause? That's, uh, now you're really starting to operate with the factors of enlightenment because that's Dhammavichaya, that's investigation. So mindfulness and investigation of states. And then one thing leads to another, and this is a virtuous cycle. So when we understand ourselves well, it's possible to conduct ourselves well, and when we're doing that, then it's possible to meditate peacefully, and when we do that, then our insight can grow more deep over time. At a certain point, you can see there's nothing that's a problem. Everything is an opportunity. 
they might seem problematic. It might not be fun. But it's not really a problem. So if your life becomes no problem, <laughs> then uh, I would say, okay, then you're doing it right. If there are, if there are problems in your life, or things that feel like a problem, then that's where your work is. And if you recognize that, oh, here's where my work is. I need to look more closely at this. I need to work on this. I need to pay attention to this. I need to learn from this. If that's your attitude towards your problems, then again, you're doing it right. So that's what we came here to do. We came here to do right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort. Right mindfulness and right concentration. So if you want to do all those things right, then look on everything that's happening, especially if it's painful, as a, a practice opportunity rather than as some affliction that you need to escape. And then you'll You'll get maximum benefit from what you have to put up with. None of us gets to go through life unscathed by pain and suffering. So if you're going to have pain and suffering, you might as well use it to your advantage. And it won't be for, for in vain. It won't be for naught just leading to more pain and suffering further down, further down the line. This is the, the attitude and the, the approach to pain and suffering that leads to freedom. And that's why we came here. So I'll leave those thoughts for your consideration. Sadhu, Sadhu, Sadhu.